Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but... I wore a long red jacket. I'm a bit hot in today because I'm co-hosting with Jade Adams and I knew she'd come in something completely fabulous. So while I know it's not good to be sartorially competitive with other women, I thought I also don't want to be in the shadow, which obviously I wouldn't be anyway and Jade would never do that. And so I don't know really why I was thinking about it all, but look, fuck it, just get the glitter on. I've also done eyelashes. I'm a feminist, but I get annoyed that men don't give up their seats on public transport because last Christmas, I gave you my heart and the very next... No, that's not what I want to say. Last Christmas, I was wearing a pair of Elton John's platforms, not his own, but like his. Like his. And uh, a drag queen did a scissor kick in the middle of a stage that was built by Selfridges, created a hole. I didn't see it and I went over and I've damaged a ligament in my knee. So now when I get on the train or a tube I li- I, it's, I'm raging I'm raging at the men for not standing up <laughs> not looking at me immediately and thinking that woman needs to sit down could you wear a badge that could, says baby I have an Elton <laughs> I'd get away with it or, or you could say I have an Elton John related injury <laughs> please help me <laughs> I would love you to wear that t-shirt <laughs> I do look a bit like Elton John Went into a fancy dress shop and came out as David Bowie. Hey! I'm a feminist, but my favourite opera is La Boheme, in which my favourite woman dies a very tragic death. But to be honest, it wouldn't be as good if she didn't die, because it's nice to have a good cry. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll watch a woman die for entertainment sometimes just to get things out. How does she die? Oh, of consumption. Yeah. Oh, that's, they always die of that. Yeah. Satine in Moulin Rouge dies of consumption. Yeah, they're constantly dying of consumption. I'm a feminist, but I want to be an inspiring role model for other working class women in the arts. But I don't know how I'm going to feel when I inspire another fat Bristolian female comedian who can sing opera. I don't know if I'm going to want to support her or push her down the stairs. <laughs> it's all about Eve slash Jade. <laughs> um, I get that. I get that. I'm a feminist, but I'm quite excited that uh, tonight, at the last night of the proms, where we are... I mean, obviously, this is a bit before the last night of the proms. This is the last afternoon of the proms. <laughs> this is the last night of the proms eve. Here we are at the last night of the proms. And I get to go to the last night of the proms because I'm doing this. And I'm very excited to see, and I know this might not sound feminist, a woman singing Rural Britannia. Stay with me. I know Rural Britannia is about patriotism. And patriotism often has its own conflicts and chats with feminism about what's right and what's wrong but the reason I'm excited is because the woman who's singing it is in fact an American who is coming out wrapped in the bisexual flag <laughs> which has really pissed off conservative woman website I notice yet they're not pleased she's on our show either her name is Jamie Barton and uh, they said I suppose Jade Adams on the podcast, won't bother to make the joke that Jamie's an ideal name for a bisexual. How is that a joke? I wouldn't make and that then, joke, because that's not a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> that's, just, then, that's just words that they've and, said. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, then she said, because there's probably no jokes allowed on the guilty feminist. No, um, well, no well that's caused a... I'm going to send that bit of tape to the conservative <laughs> woman, just that noise. That was the outrage when we were told no jokes. It's not a joke to say Jamie is an ideal name for a bisexual person. I think she might think a bisexual person is a non-binary person. I don't know what she thinks, but Conservative Woman magazine are very displeased with us. Uh, they're very displeased with us being here, and they're very displeased with any bisexuality being introduced to the proms. She said it's meant to be about Brexit. Now, <laughs> she did it really, but that's what she meant. That's what she, that was very much the subtext. This is Brexit's only concert. Why do we have to have bisexual people in it? That's not Brexit, is it? Brexit is getting away from bisexual people and sending them all back to bisexualania, where they came from. Admittedly, Jamie did come from America. She's not wrong about that. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. I'm uh, sure that woman went to college or university or something. Yeah, she will have. Yeah, oh, she we will know what happens to women at university and college. We become bisexual. Well, I mean, otherwise, we're wasting our time in the second year when there are less exams that are important or fewer exams that are important. You had to be bisexual when you were doing the course I was doing, drama, theatre, and media. Let's be honest, there's not a lot of straight guys in that. <laughs> You wouldn't get laid otherwise. Yeah, but that's not how bisexuality works. Uh, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, do you want to do one last do you want one? one more? Yeah, go on. Now, when I wrote this, I was in the car thinking of the Guilty Feminist normal shows, which is, as we've said, in the, in the dark and not in a school hall. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you, this is, this, is, this is dicey. This is spicy. Let's call it spicy. Now, I'm going to say it, but I'm just going to preface that I'm sorry if if this is too much for 2.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. So, so basically, she's prefacing it by saying, sorry if it kills the gig. 
<sighs> you sure you want to do it? Oh, yes, because I haven't got a backup. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but sometimes I like my partner to tie me up and dominate me in bed whilst he spanks me to Dizzy Rascal's baseline junkie. <laughs> Big, dirty, stinking bass. I remember laying there all tied up once and seeing myself in the mirror and asking myself, is this feminism? <laughs> I'll sit here. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Mm. There we I'm go. Wonderful. Oh. <laughs> they were expecting someone much smaller. <laughs> Generally, it feels like a bit of a school hall, doesn't it? It feels a bit like assembly. <laughs> wow, they're so lit up, aren't they? Mm. That's what I said. I said we shouldn't be able to see them that clearly, and they should feel a little bit more not. But look, we will. We'll close our eyes. That's exactly... Sound a little bit more drunk than you normally... Yeah, that's, that's, it's getting there. <laughs> then it feels like a real gig. And, ooh, the sm- uh, I need the smell of piss. Is there any way that you can make that happen? Is that because you're used to performing in comedy clubs? Yes. <laughs> Jade did the Royal Albert Hall with us. Mm. When, I, when I moved to London, one of the things... I, was, I went to a meeting and someone said to me, uh, what's your dream? Where would you like to end up? And I said, I would like to end up in a, in a crystal, Swarovski crystal gown on the Royal Albert Hall singing an aria. I got to the Royal Albert Hall, but actually the first time was I was wearing pleather leggings singing, singing Cell Block Tango. Cell Block Tango. From Chicago. It's close. It's, it's near. It's, it's, look, it's, one, it's a step in the right, a large pleather step in the right direction. We opened the show with a piece from a show called A Musical, which is done by Jade Adams and uh, her co-star, Kiri Pritchard-McLean, and a man called Dave Cribb, where comedians get to perform their favourite song from a musical as if they're a musical star. Um, it's more our dream than yours, to be honest with you. It's it, more our dream than yours. It's basically giving people who are out... Like, for example, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, and if you um, played a drinking game with the amount of times I mentioned Phantom on the podcast, you'd get absolutely leathered. But I love Phantom of the Opera, and I would love to be Christine, but <laughs> that's never going to happen. So I created with an, uh, two other people a show where people like me can perform whatever role they wanted so actually deborah when she came onto the show for the first time your dream role was in cabaret Mm. um and you played a great sally bowles but actually you didn't do sally you decided that your dream role would be uh to do uh mine hair impersonating theresa may um it was when she was still in power and uh she was singing bye bye to europe um but all sort of slightly like bye bye mein lieber hair yeah, that kind of vibe. If you listen to the podcast regularly, which clearly none of you do, it's already been on there. Uh, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so we decided to do uh, Cell Block Tango 
uh, he had it coming as a sort of guilty feminist opening to the Royal Albert Hall show, which soon will be available for your listening pleasure. Uh, so that was an unqualified delight. So I thought Jade would make an incredible host uh, for this because uh, she does all sorts of phenomenal singing. Now, Jade, can you tell me, yes. have you had a guilty week or a feminist week? I would like to say I'm the perfect feminist, but I, I would love, I'd love to say that. But my boyfriend has told me that I am not the perfect feminist whatsoever. Well, the fact that you've listened to a man, <laughs> immediately alarm bells. You don't ask a man if you're a feminist. He doesn't know. <laughs> yes, but I'm asking him this whilst he washes my clothes. Oh, OK. Yes. Right. OK. That's, that's Isn't it, babe? Someone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a lovely relationship. A lovely relationship. And what were his reasons for saying you weren't a perfect feminist? Because I basically will sometimes. Um, babe, what do I do that's not feminist? <laughs> that's not true. I am in charge and I am the breadwinner of the house. Um, and uh, I... Okay, I'll just say that I've had a feminist week because I've been in charge this week. But Excellent. Yeah, that's Yay! what I'll say. I, the guilty part of that was it took you five minutes to say you'd been a feminist this week. <laughs> I don't know if that's guilty or just British. Uh, but if it's British, hurrah, last night at the proms, it goes with the theme. It goes with the theme. Um, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jade Adams, and we're talking about women in classical music! Um, can I say something? Yeah. There is the sound of a lorry reversing outside. Will that affect anything? Nah, I think we just push through because it's a podcast and uh, it's free. So, I mean, it, it's not free for you, but you're getting to look at us and possibly touch us later. And the people listening at home, they get an hour's free podcast every single week, Week in, week out, they pay nothing for it. There's no license fee. If they can't hear a lorry briefly reversing, then fuck them. So, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag feminism. Um, uh, would you like to hear some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage the incredible Jane Adams! <laughs> Again, not normally how I do stand-up comedy with Deborah Francis White stood behind me, but if this goes well, she might have to come to all of my gigs and sit behind me. Hello, dirty, uh, dirty feminists. Oh, my God. <laughs> Joke number one. That's my secret show, Jane. Don't tell them about that. <laughs> I want to just find out, are there any, is there anyone under 18 in? Anyone under 20? Who's the youngest in here? Shout an age out when you think, if you, 18, who's 18? Hello. I love that you're here learning. Because <laughs> that's all I want to be is an inspiring role model. Because I look out there and I see the Kardashians and I know what you're thinking. You and Kim Kardashian are very similar, Jade. <laughs> we are, we have the same circumference of ass. Um, but she made hers by injecting stuff into her bottom, whereas I've done it by injecting stuff into my mouth. <laughs> And you can see who's a happier, more rounded person, me. And I feel like I could be, instead of, you know, the self-made billionaire that is Kylie Jenner, 
uh, if you don't know who, do you know who Kylie Jenner is? She's 22 years old and she has more money than any of us put together will ever have by convincing young girls that um, uh, she has taken herself from looking like a nice normal girl into a 45-year-old woman um, <laughs> by selling lip pencils. And I feel like I could be more inspiring than that because I feel like the 18-year-old, raise your hand again because I'm looking at the wrong person, great. Um, LAUGHTER I feel like there's things that aren't told to you when you're your age. Like, I, isn't it irrelevant that I know how to grow cress out of cotton wool? <laughs> but I didn't know how to pay my tax bill until about three years ago. And I found out in a very difficult way. <laughs> and what it is, if you, you don't know what that word is yet, tax. There might be some other people in here because they're not spending it, uh, not paying it at the moment, spending it. <laughs> that's not us, that's the other guy. Um, <laughs> You, you know, don't what, know what that word is yet, and you know, you're sort of, you can look at your phone and go, oh, there's an opinion, I'll have that. But what will happen later on in your life is you'll, um, uh, mad what's your name? Abby. Abby. What will happen is you'll, pro you're probably creative, and you'll um, earn some money one day, and uh, you'll move a tax bracket slightly, and you'll start waking up in the morning and thinking things like, do we really need ambulances? <laughs> now, <laughs> I want to be here to tell you to ignore those voices, okay? Some other things you need to know, Abby, about growing up. You're going to grow a beard. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. No one told me about the beard, okay? I'm all right about it, but I needed a run-up, you know? I needed to know when I was growing up that this beard was coming because it came in my 30s and I was just... And do you know what? Do you know, do you know I found out about it? I found out about it because I was on a date with my boyfriend, the one at the back, and we were on a second date. He doesn't like me telling this story, and you'll see why. Um, <laughs> we're on a second date. We're in his Ford Focus. I keep it real. I'm not with him for his money. And uh, <laughs> it's a glorious day. We're having a lovely time. I've just fallen in love. I, you know, I'm, I'm overweight, so um, they all pretended they didn't fancy me. <laughs> well, fingering me under the table. And... Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Other chubby people in here might be aware of what happens to you at school with the boys. They all fancy you, but they can't admit it to their friends. Anyway, it would have been different when we were all Rubenesque and it was beautiful, but we don't live in that. It's Kate Moss ruined it for us. Um, but we were on a second date, and it was my first boyfriend. We're all excited. We're all in love, and uh, he's driving the car, and he keeps... I'm backlit because the sun's coming in from the window, and I look great backlit, look. I just look fabulous. For the people that are listening, I just turned around. And, and he keeps looking at me whilst he's driving with the eyes of love. And I keep going, oh, <laughs> look at the road. We're going to crash. <laughs> and then after a while, I realized that this look of love that he's given me is the look of concern. And so whilst he's driving, as you can tell, I, I'm, I don't. I look like I'm wanking off a cow upside down. <laughs> <clears throat> He's driving, and I, I just said, and I said to him, I was like, "What's wrong?" And he said, "You've, you've, you've got, you've got hair." Now, I wanted to be the strong, confident woman he met. I wanted to style it out. You know, that could have been very embarrassing on my second date. So I decided to lean into him, and I went, "Go on, babe, get it." And he said, "Which one?" Now I feel, see why he doesn't like that story. Um, I feel like, had I have met a woman called Pam, who was 69, I used to be uh, working at a coffee shop, I'm just like you, and uh, I worked there for a long time, and I loved Pam, because when you've got an accent like mine, people don't often speak to you about feminism, it wasn't something that we ever were brought up learning about, when you're working class, women are just in charge, there's no conversation about it. <laughs> 
And I, uh, and so like I didn't really understand what feminism was, and it isn't, in, it hasn't been until wonderful podcasts like this have come out, and women are talking about it more. And there was this woman, and she used to come into the coffee shop and talk to me about feminism and politics, and I found her super inspirational. But the main reason I found her inspirational is because she did all of this with a full beard, and she didn't give a shit. And I wanted to be just like Pam, so I just feel like Abby, I should just tell you that now. The beard's coming, and you're going to constantly look suspicious while she try and find beard hair. <laughs> What else do I need to tell you? I think that might be it, Abby. Do you feel like you're prepared for life? Yeah, now? Who are your role models? Your mum. Oh, isn't that lovely? What does your mum do for you that makes you inspired? Is she sat next to you? Oh, I'm so sorry that I've said um, some of the words I've said to your... To your youngest, she, I, it's not me teaching them to her. At least she's seen me. Look, look how empowering this is. Stood on stage. I used to work in ASDA. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Um, what is it your mum does for you that's inspiring, Abby? She's a physicist. <laughs> well, I am speechless. <laughs> mum, are you a physicist? Blair me now. What I was about to do next was I was going to talk about my mum who used to sew sequins on my freestyle disco dancing costumes and work at Aston, how inspiring that was, but she gave herself carpal tunnel syndrome, but Abby's come in with my mum's a physicist. Do you know what, Abby? I think you've probably won this and I need to just shut up. Great. Thanks, Abby. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah. I wanted to let you know about a very exciting event in Westminster in London from Intelligence Squared. Uh, They're doing an event on words that change the world, the power of women's voices on the 28th of November. And I will be speaking alongside Yvette Cooper, Bonnie Greer and Daisy Goodwin, as well as an amazing cast of actors bringing the speeches to life. Buy tickets today on the Intelligence Squared website. It's going to be a banger. If you're in America or Canada, you might think, but Deborah, why don't you ever come here? Gang, I've got to tell you, it's sorted, which is British for happening. In January 2020, I'm going to be coming with the Guilty Feminist to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Toronto, Vancouver, San Francisco, Seattle and Los Angeles. The dates for these shows will all be on the Guilty Feminist website, guiltyfeminist.com. Now, the tickets are not on sale yet. Hold your trigger fingers, except for the first New York date, which is almost sold out. Now, you can buy these tickets on pre-sale Wednesday, the 16th of October, but only if you have the special code GUILTY. That's right, GUILTY. The tickets go on sale to the public on Friday, the 18th of October. So you want to put the 16th of October into your diary and check the Guilty Feminist website to see when we are coming to you so you can put that date in your diary as well and not book anything else out. Don't say we don't do anything nice for you. Now, if you're not in America but you still love the Guilty Feminist, we will be in Manchester on the 15th of November. We will be in Dublin on the 6th of November. And we will be coming back to Manchester for the Secret Policeman's Tour. That's our show with Amnesty International, which will be a comedy and music extravaganza on the 3rd of December. You can find all of those dates 
on guiltyfeminist.com book now. If you're in London and thinking, but we can never get tickets here because it's always sold out. We know and we feel your pain. On the 26th of November at Barbican Hall in London, I am hosting an evening with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and guests, including Bill Bailey, Katna Moran, Game of Thrones actor Amelia Clark, and Steve Alley. Now, I will be hosting this evening, and it's to celebrate the book Last Christmas. Amazing compilation of essays from all sorts of glamorously famous people, but also some refugees and charity workers to explore what Christmas means to them. And the proceeds from this book go to Crisis and the Refugee Council, as do 50% of the profits from the show. It's going to be a really, really special evening. Do not miss it. And also don't miss the rom-com by Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and others, Last Christmas Coming to Cinemas Near You, that is affiliated with the book. It's going to be an absolute joy. Now, back to the podcast. first guest is an American mezzo-soprano who uses her platform to inspire conversations about body positivity, LGBTQ plus rights, social justice issues, and more besides. She is joined by a composer described by The Observer as a renaissance woman of contemporary British music. Please welcome to the stage, Jamie Barton and Erin Wallen! <laughs> Jamie. Well, hello. My name is Jamie Barton, and I'm a mezzo-soprano, sing opera, and I'm singing The Last Night of the Proms tonight. Yeah. I'm Erin Mullen. I'm the person that stays at home in her pyjamas writing music. Yay! <laughs> um, so firstly, I'd just like to say Jamie is an ideal name for a bisexual person. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, thank you to Conservative Woman, that joke worked. That, that surprised me. I didn't think that was a joke, but turns out, yes. Turns out, big laugh. Well done. Maybe she should start stand-up. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Are, there aren't any out-Tory um, female stand-ups, so maybe she could have that niche. <laughs> I will, I'll email her forthwith. Um, she's going to have to get a listen to this because she knows we're talking about her. So, Jamie, uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like uh, to be you and... <laughs> Uh, I don't want you to have to speak for all women in classical music, but what's it like? Well, uh, this week it's been quite controversial, I think. Mm. Uh, It does seem that coming over, being uh, somebody who's bringing the queer swing to the proms and is fat and happens to be a woman is very, very uh, much getting under the nerves of some people. But that being said, it's great. Honestly, I get to travel the world. I get to sing opera, which is just basically screaming really, really prettily. (laughs) And I get to come and speak with one of my podcast heroes. So that's also really lovely. Jamie, that's so lovely. It's true. Um, And Erilyn, tell us, what's what's it like to be you? Well, this week I've been writing a bassoon concerto. uh, Me too. Love it. I love a bassoon. It's the most underrated instrument. Yeah. It's a, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And then I'm writing an oratory uh, about the end of the world. Oh, uh, timely, relevant. But, but yeah. all at the same time, so I'm very confused today. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and how is it like to be 
a composer in the 21st century if you're a woman? Well, things are sort of better than, than they were when I started out. Uh, I made the mistake of when I was about 10 saying I want to be a ballet dancer. And my parents said, well, you haven't seen any black ballet dancers. So then I moved to composition and kept that very much a secret. And so composing for me is just a really normal thing with no gender attached to it. And so when I was studying, certainly um, I wasn't particularly encouraged because I didn't fit in the natural, you know, didn't fit into the canon. But things are getting... So well, you, shut out of it. <laughs> so you, you think you you when you say when you started you weren't encouraged yeah. because you do you think it was because you didn't look like what people had in their mind when they thought of composer? Yeah, I remember a teacher came up to me in my um, primary school and saying, "You know, little girl, classical music isn't for you." And I didn't ask her why right. she was saying that to me, but now well, she I've specifically it came to find you yeah. and say, "Just to let you know, <laughs> little girl, Erin, um, in case." <laughs> You were thinking about classical music. Um, I just need to be clear, it's not for you. And then just walked away. <laughs> and then there was another oh, rather lovely conductor. I, w- I was driving him to a gig. I don't know how I was doing that, but I was driving him to conduct a very, very big opera in a big festival called Garsington Festival. And he was saying to me, now I've just got something to tell you, Erin. At the moment, you're a novelty, so I hope you've got all your uh, financial affairs. I hope you've got a pension sorted out because you're a novelty now and it won't last. You said he was rather lovely. <laughs> Well, until that moment. Yeah. So he said, you're a novelty act, because you're a black woman. Yeah. My God. My so God. people say that all the time to me. And they'll say, another thing that happens is, um, I was once in Berlin, and it's a New Year's Eve party, and a German lecturer friend was there, and I was introduced as a composer. So she came up to about six or seven times in that party, saying, um, when you say you write music, what, what does that mean? I said, does that mean you write the notes for... Does that mean you know about instruments? Does that mean you can... <laughs> went on and on. <laughs> so I quite like, um, what's the word, sort of um, confounding people's expectations. But that's not why I started composing. I compose because that's what I am. That, that's, did you... Have you written this one? Or that's, <laughs> oh, yes. Laurie backing out. Yeah. Very modern. Very modern. Yeah. What note is that, Jamie? Notice that? I am, yeah, absolutely, I can hear it. Anyone here with perfect pitch? No. You're a composer, my I'm God. a composer, mate. I, I, you know, they gave me a triangle at school, and I was like, yes. I'm going to build from there. Uh, so... stopped uh what's wonderful about being a woman in composition what's freeing about that and liberating about everything everything i get up sometimes i don't get up i sometimes say i'm going to write music today and i'll just stay in bed i have absolute freedom you mean you write it in bed or you just don't write it you just oh I, i stay in bed writing music i can write anywhere i think the best thing that's ever happened to me is that my music has been to outer space on a shuttle mission I think that's probably most fantastic. On a shuttle mission? What? Tell us more. To the space station. They took it to the space station? (laughs) What, like on a (laughs) boombox? And a Morrison's bag. Or or did they take up a quartet? Or get get a bassoonist and pop him in? Or her? 
Actually, the bassoonist does live. Don't assume bassoonists are all men, like you just did. Just because I said he, some of them are women. What? And I was writing an opera, and I was in Houston. I said, surely there's an opera about an astronaut. I said, surely there's an astronaut can help me. And there was. His name was Steve McLean. And uh, we became very good friends. And then it turns out he'd taken all my CDs to space. Oh, that's absolutely incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Is there another composer who can say that? Uh, no. J.S. Barp, he's dead, and so he, he doesn't know. He, he, can't, he can't say it, he's dead. <laughs> he can't say it because he's dead, and that is true of so many of the composers we're meant to revere. They can't be a guest on the Guilty Feminist podcast because they're Brahms, and not even here. Is there something about being a woman, and when a man is a composer, there's the sort of weight of the canon on their shoulders. Yeah. Is there something freeing about saying... Well, actually, we don't know that many female composers because of the history of the world. I can do whatever I want. And then if you add the intersection of being a black woman, is there a sort of liberation in that? Oh, totally. I feel so little was expected of me, and still is sometimes. I can just do the hell I like. And so in that way, you become quite innovative just by accident. (laughs) Yeah, I I do know what you mean, because I think it's the same for women in comedy, that actually there isn't really a model unless you're going to sort of follow the yeah. masculine model. You can almost be, I think sometimes in comedy, more of a person, more yeah. of a human, yeah. because you're not a man, because it's such a male space. So you can really be you as an individual. Yeah. And that's something, Jamie, you're bringing in as well. You were talking backstage about identifying as fat and what that does and how you can reshape the ideas of the female romantic lead. Absolutely, absolutely. Me personally, I believe that the audience wants to see themselves reflected on stage. I receive so many notes from people via Twitter, Instagram, whatever, especially after I do uh, shows where I am a romantic lead or, you know, the queen of something or something like that. And I get the response from a lot of people saying, it's just really nice to look up on stage and see somebody of size. It makes me feel like I can be a part of that story too. Mm. I think that's really important. I think that the audience wants to see body diversity, racial diversity, all sorts of diversity on stage. We want a fat Disney princess. Yes! Yes. Come on! Although, to be honest, Ursula is my favourite Disney princess. So. She, do you know what? Someone, someone said to me the other day, I was talking about The Little Mermaid, and someone made me realise what an absolute arsehole Ariel is. <laughs> like... The, all the stuff that she gets up to in that, like she like ruins her sister's wedding. She like tells her father no, and all he does is try and support her. She nicks a load of stuff from people and then keeps it all to herself and doesn't <laughs> let other people have it. And then she like loses her voice for another man because she like wants to be him. It's like, oh, you know, I got this talent that I've got, you know, is my is my God given talent. But no, sod that. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna t- give that away for like some legs so I can hang out with this bloke. And then he kind of like someone else. But I still like like she's an absolute dick. Whereas Ursula, all she's doing is sitting back, like Mother Courage, and just be like, if you want to buy something off me, you can buy it off me. I think she's the hero of that entire operation. I agree, I agree entirely. Okay. I would like to see you next year in As Edinburgh. Ursula. Next year in Edinburgh doing Ursula the Musical. Someone in which did you, it. Oh, in which you it. turn it around, like the Wicked. You know, the way the Wicked made us relook at the that Wizard of Oz. That's what I'm saying. If you did Ursula's POV... The mis- misunderstood women. 
Well, unfortunately, Melissa McCarthy, they're probably going to give it to her, which has been really upsetting, I'll be honest with you, and it's, this is triggering me somewhat. <laughs> Did you not audition for that part? I'm not famous enough yet. You will be soon. Did you audition oh. for that part, though? No, I really wanted to. I did audition for Jenny Anydots in Cats, which went to Rebel Wilson. <sighs> That's my life. <laughs> Shall I tell you about that, uh, what happened in that audition? Yeah, go on. I turned up, I was wearing dungarees, and they basically, I had to sing the song, the Jenny Anydots song in Cats. And then they um, were like, okay, so the song, great, you sing, brilliant. Um, now we want you to like, act like a cat. So they made me roll around on the floor. And, but I had dungarees on that, I had a pocket, and all my keys and like money stuff <laughs> fell out and spilled all over the floor. And like there was an inhaler and stuff. And then... <laughs> I didn't get it. There's no business like show business. (laughs) How does it feel to be coming into something that is so British at a time when Britain's in such turmoil? It's overwhelming in a big, big way. To be an American, especially leading something like Rule Britannia in something that is so incredibly, like, this is British, this is as British as it gets. There are moments of me going, okay, that feels a little awkward. But that being said, that's one of the reasons that me carrying the pride flag and coming out with that is something that I am really, really into. Because for me, the pride flag is a unifying thing. It's a connective thing. It's a love yourself as you are kind of thing. And that's not a political thing. You know, I can walk out with that flag and be very, very proud of it. Can I just say conservative woman says that it is a political thing? (sighs) They're quite clear about that. Yeah. They're quite clear yeah. that it is a political thing and that you've made the proms political. But in a way, there is a power in it. I'm not saying it's party political, but I am saying there is a power in it if we choose to embrace it in this idea of everybody being the fullness of who they are. Mm. Do you find that the opera world is a world that is embracive or is marginalising or does it include? It is rather inclusive, but it can do more. And I think that that probably goes across the lines of any performing arts thing. But in my experience, as particularly as an out queer woman, it's been very, very inclusive. I do want to see more stories told on stage, though, that I, you know, can Mm -hmm. get behind. I want to see, uh, you know, in opera, we have what we call pants roles, women playing men. And I want to see two women in love on stage. Like Buffy, Willow and Tara. Yeah. We, yeah, we just we just had Danielle Denise on, and she was telling us that well, I went to see the production at Glyndebourne, and that was the mezzo soprano was in a pants role, mm-hmm. and Fiona Shaw directed it and played it as a queer story. More, um, yeah, more, more of those. <laughs> and in a way, what would be great is if a contemporary uh, woman who was a composer wrote something for you that was a queer love story. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I'm sitting here quite. I think I've just had an idea. You're like Silla Black for classical music. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's a pitch. Here's a pitch. Okay, Erlon Wallen. The Little Mermaid is an ancient story. We take Disney out of it. There's no copyright because it's Hans Christian Andersen yes. a million yes, years ago. Yes, yes. All right. This character of um, Ursula. 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 Okay. Is she Disney or is she canon? Is she in the original story? Oh. Mm, that's a question. Okay. I can't remember her from if that. She's canon, if she's canon, if she's canon, we just take it and we censure it. Tom Slinsky's going to now do some fact-checking. Uh, if she's not, we have a similar character that's not at all based on Ursula and in, uh, called, called Bursula. 
something that Disney Phoebe. Something that is a Disney Phoebe. Phoebe friends. Uh, her twin sister was. Oh yes, Ursula. Oh, hey. that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So you just call her Phoebe. Okay. And then, yeah, yeah, All right. Yeah. I'm going to suggest that you two play Phoebe and Ursula. The twins. Now, the Little Mermaid, in which she's, she's the evil if one. We're doing the Wicked switcheroo. Everybody knows Wicked or has a sense of it. If not, it's the other viewpoint of who's wicked and who's good, who's wonderful in The Wizard of Oz. It's a flip on that idea. So, the Little Mermaid does not know that these are twin sisters and that they flip in and out of her. So, you two play this joint role, and we see the sisterhood of the two of you, these real sisters. Uh, who come together and how they are misunderstood in the wider world. Erilyn, yes. can I commission you to yes. write that? And you can write the libretto. <gasps> Let's make this happen. <laughs> Let's make this happen. <laughs> I, I started off with that going, is Deborah going to give away the role of Ursula to someone else whilst I'm sat here? <laughs> That's Listen, what I, you'll both have to audition in dungarees. <laughs> I will not smash that. <laughs> no, I think this is a great idea. I think more stories and new stories and, and coming together. We're so married to the past. Yeah. And where it comes to this style of music, I feel like we go, if it's not old, what is it? It's almost like holding hands with the past. But there are so many ways to hold hands with the past. And one of those ways is to write something new in a tradition that reflects contemporary yeah. values. And how much are you able to do that when you're asked to compose music? I've actually written 18 operas now, and in fact, what? one of them... 18? That's why I'm tired. I don't know okay. what I've been doing. <laughs> I don't know what I've been doing with my time. And, you know, one of them is a retelling of Manolesco, and actually it has a line in it which says, I'm, I'm a feminist but <gasps> Isn't that no. spooky? Are you That's... joking? No. What? That's written in 2012 or something, 2013. We didn't start until 2015. So that's you see, incredible. I'm head, you nicked it. Oh. I didn't... <laughs> Oh, my God, this is, she's come on this stage to confront me. It's like she's been biding her time. She's going to wait for the last night of the proms. Wow, so we'll have to have that. Is that an aria? Or is it there's a recitative? Actually, a lovely... And actually, it's for five women in the cast, and they play male and female roles. Wow. Is that... Where it says I'm a feminist part, is that recitative or is that an aria? Oh, it actually, it's a bit of spoken text right at the beginning where the two girls are asking, why do heroines always die in operas? Oh. And, yeah. You did say, just for a second, I thought you said herons, and I realised you said heroines. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, oh, God, I really don't know as much about opera as I think. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of herons dying in opera. And I went, I'm, it, my brain went, I don't think she would have said that. No, think that again, nice what could one. she have said? So uh, what was the end of the sentence? Do you remember the end of the I'm a Feminist part? Well, it's... Two girls doing this homework, and one is sort of resisting. Uh, one is saying, "Why is it that these operas make no sense, and women just always die because they've got no purpose?" So the other one says, "Well, I'm a feminist, but but she's standing up for the canon as it is and doesn't want any change." Oh, see? oh, that's a lovely. I'm a feminist, but could mm. we? Do you think at some point perform yes, that that part of it, and then have a song from that opera? Yeah, can we? Or yeah. an aria from that opera? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Or a duet. Yes. <gasps> Could I they do a duet? Yeah. There's oh. lots of duets. I w- I'd Will get you... a proper singer to do it, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm really good with singing on my own, but when it comes to harmonising, I'm very much a solo performer. <laughs> I'll give what? it a good go. I can harmonise Silent Night, but that's about it. <laughs> Is it? I'm just going to put this out here to the tune of Silent Night, Errol and Bynish. Yes, I can. I can rewrite bits, it's fine. <laughs> 
Mezzo soprano, is that higher than soprano or is that lower? Lower. Oh, well yeah. maybe we could. I got you covered. No oh worries. yeah, babe. Well, yeah. if we could if you could do all the under bits, I could I could definitely do that. I absolutely could. Fab. Yeah. Right. Okay, <laughs> all right, sorted. That opera is sorted. I think for the Edinburgh Fringe. The dream. I mean, we get a really big venue, yeah. but I think you being the star at the Edinburgh Fringe, introducing this amazing opera star, then what we'll get is both audiences. We'll get the Edinburgh Festival audience, which is very highbrow and fancy, and they would all know who you are. And we'll get the Edinburgh Fringe audience who all know who you are. Not saying that you're not fancy and highbrow, I'm, Jade. I'm not. Well, I did wear a black turtleneck in my last show. That's well, pretty highbrow. It's hard to know what more you could have done. Uh, <laughs> If we bring the two of you together yeah. and then we have Erin and Compose and I'll do the libretto, yes, that exactly. would sell a full run at a big venue it in really Edinburgh. Would. I say hubristically, but I think it really would. Especially if it was a retelling of The Little Mermaid. So I am deadly serious. We've got to think of a great title for it, but I think working title Ursula and Phoebe is very funny. Yeah, there you go. Done. Sorted. Yeah, we so get creative. You didn't think that was going to happen this afternoon. <laughs> no. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. No. So can you tell us uh, what we should be going for? This is for both of you. If people are listening out there, and they are, they're listening all over the world to the podcast in all sorts of situations, and some people will have more access to actually going to see something. Some people won't have any access to that because of money or geography. And some people go, oh, this just isn't for me. This is a highbrow world, and I don't really understand it. Where should people begin? And if people want to come in with a sort of feminist angle and go, look, I'm not going to just learn about classical music or opera for the sake of it. I want to have a feminist take on it from the beginning. I'd like to support some female composers or I'd like to uh, look at some stories that do have interesting questions in them about feminism. Can you guys give us any ideas of what we should listen to? Well, I definitely come from an area that there was no classical music. Uh, so I, I, I understand that angle very much. Where are you from? Uh, from the mountains uh, above Atlanta, Georgia, a little place called Rome, Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I didn't encounter classical music until I was probably 15 or 16. Uh, and I certainly didn't encounter opera until I got to college. So I was a little far behind in terms of where a lot of my peers were. What was it that brought you to classical music? Mariah Carey. Was it? Yeah, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> the Animaniacs. <laughs> wow. Like, seriously, it was a lot of different things. I did fall in love with Chopin, the composer, listening to NPR uh, in the United States, just listening to the radio and hearing Chopin. It just, for me, at that very emo kind of high school age, just really, really clicked in. Um, but that's my suggestion. Like, if you hear anything that you like already, if you hear something in a, a movie that you like on the radio, just go look Shazam. it up. Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> 
you know, if you hear anything classically that you like, go look it up. And then, like, go down that YouTube rabbit hole. Just keep clicking, figuring out what's out there. But if you are into the, you know, looking into female composers, go and check and see what the opera houses and orchestras are doing that are performing works of women. Uh, Because that's a really good way of just figuring out what's out there and uh, going to listen to them. And then go listen. Just give your ears some love. That's lovely. Are there any women who are composers who you particularly like? I am a huge, huge fan of Libby Larson. Uh, There is a a song (laughs) cycle that she wrote that I've been singing on recitals. In fact, I'm bringing it here to London at the end of November. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The the cycle is called Love After 1950s. All of the poems are by women. All of the songs are in different kind of styles. So there's a honky-tonk and a a tango and a kind of a jazz piece. Uh, But they're all kind of telling stories, just little vignette stories from coming of age as a woman and what I love about it is that the last song is actually not in the style of any other kind of composition it's in Libby's voice Mm. and it is kind of coming a woman coming to her own and discovering who she is and what she loves about herself man I've never felt as seen as I do in singing that particular song cycle as a woman I love it so much well where will that be uh Wigmore Hall November 30th just one night? Just one night. Me and my amazing collaborator, Kathleen Kelly, will be bringing this feminist gender-bending recital to Wigmore <gasps> Hall. Well, we will all be there. If you're listening at home, the people in the audience might have already bought all the tickets. When, do the, <laughs> when does it go on sale? I think it's already on sale. It's already on sale. Yeah. Okay, and it's called... Oh, well, my recital. I don't know. <laughs> it's just uh, if you it's look called on Jamie Barton and yeah. it's uh, does Libby Larson. <laughs> Not does, that's wrong. Oh, well, uh, the, the song cycle is called Love After 1950s. Love After 1950s. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll definitely be there for that. Um, that sounds absolutely amazing. And that's the kind of thing I want, just want to know about. You just want one lovely recommendation that gives you an in. And from there, you know, the internet will show you another thing that you might mm-hmm. like and might suggest something else. Totally. And I'm going to ask you the same question, Erilyn. What would you recommend? How did you get into it? Same thing, you know. I, well, I used to go to my little dancing classes, and I remember the pianist was playing Chopin and then I thought I love this music and then I went home and I was trying to find that same music on the radio so just twiddling the knobs but I would have to say we had this fantastic teacher so I went to school in Tottenham and she taught all of us from eight or nine just to read and write music it wasn't a specialist music school and she introduced us to the music of um, Prokofiev and we we would love listening to orchestral music but she never made a big apology she never said oh this is difficult music we just did it and so then I I would write music for that class I would write songs for my sisters to kids the composition and music maybe was a very natural part of my life so I would say just listen but listen widely don't feel that classical music is just this one thing within classical music there's so many different styles and there are also so many composers that have been women composers that have been before us so how old were you when you started composing Probably about nine, but I was always writing. I hated washing up. I have to do, have to do a lot of washing up as a little. So I'd make up songs to um... wash up. <laughs> See, I've done a lot of washing yeah. up, and I haven't written anything. <laughs> not, not. I haven't written an oratorio, much less an opera. <laughs> and I look back now in despair. Uh, I had to do some composing at equivalent of A levels, and I found it so difficult because 
every time I thought I'd written something, it turned out to be a Beatles song. And <laughs> I was like, how are people putting new combinations of notes together still? I don't understand it, because my brain would always offer me something it had already heard. What dark art, what magical sorcery are you doing? Hasn't everything already been written yeah. yet? This is the thing. I think I'm very relaxed that um, I don't try to be original. I just try and get a feeling or an atmosphere. And I think that's the thing. If you can just let go of all of that, let go of... Trying to be unique. Yeah, yeah. Just, just get to the feeling. And just you pretend want. you've written yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, just put it out. It. Go. Just front and style it out. It. When someone goes, that's yesterday, just be like, I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I heard something. One of my other, oh yes, for my oratory about the end of the world, a young friend was playing an orchestra. He was playing Miraculous Mandarin. And I already ordered it from Amazon because I'm going to nick bits of it to put in. <laughs> I mean, I suppose that's what all art is, really. It's just a lot of people... And, I, and I'd say the true visionaries, the true artists, are the ones that are able to steal stuff and cover it up. Yeah. yeah. Well, they say Andrew Lloyd Webber's nicked a lot of Puccini. Oh, yes, Andrew Lloyd Webber has nicked a lot of stuff, like the Phantom of the Opera. Isn't that Pink Floyd? <gasps> is it, isn't really? That, isn't that, is that right? What, I, think, I think it's something like this. I, 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 there might be need a, needing a fact check here, Tom Solinsky. Erin's nodding. Is it, what, I think but she's is, nodding in a way like she doesn't want to be sued. I just need to say something. Julian Lloyd, <laughs> Julian, Julian, Julian Lloyd Webber's commissioned a, a piano concerto from me, so I can't say anything too horrible about his brother. <laughs> Julian's, uh, tr- Julian's a tremendous uh, talent. Yeah. Julian's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. But his brother has... Stolen a few things, but there are, is that yeah, but Ed Sheeran has as well. He's been sued all over the shop. Wow! But you well, have to learn to cover it. You have yeah, to, you know, you can be inspired and yeah. put it in different. You exactly. know, you take something, you just put it together in different ways. That's all you. Yeah, you can always... co-write this opera that we're doing. Oh, okay, great. I'll just be there as a sort of continuity yes. person. Go, no, I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I heard that B flat. Um, something else. Yeah. You need that to change that. Is very clearly, and I can't be too clear about this. Mamma Mia. Uh, <laughs> just written Mamma Mia. And you've got to stop doing that. Uh, uh, so Tom says I was correct about that phantom thing. Oh, did you find out about... Uh, is there an Ursula in the original Little Mermaid? It's called The Sea Witch. As far as mm-hmm. The Sea Witch, that's a good name for the opera. The Sea Witch. The sea witch. There's actually there... an opera about it. Yeah. yeah. Rusalka uh, is, but also, is the Little Mermaid. I wouldn't yeah. do another two female thing about witches. We oh, need to yeah. go... <laughs> We'd need to go away from that. See, look at me already. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm this doing it already. Resort. Look at that. Yeah. We yeah. Right We're just writing off right here. Okay, yeah, great. No. When you're going to see this the first night in the West End, you're going to be like, we were there when this was invented. This is incredible. <laughs> Jade, how did you come to classical music? Uh, the first school I went to was, uh, I'd say, quite rough. And my mum didn't want my sister and I to go to the secondary school that everyone else was going to at there. So she um, sent us to church for seven years. And uh, we, we're not a religious family, but she, it was a C of E school. It was sort of, you know, uh, easy. And um, we'd go to Sunday school. It wasn't, it wasn't like, too intense with, it, with it, beliefs and stuff. So we would go to Sunday school, and we did it for seven years. And we got into a, a C of E school in Bristol, like a comprehensive school, but, you know, it was a good one. And it was there, I, the first couple of years, I was hanging out with some girls I shouldn't have been and smoked f- cigarettes and lit the school toilets on fire, but that's another story. And... Um, <laughs> got into huge trouble we fell out and then I was sat on my own in a playground they lit it I stood next to them um, <laughs> and flushing it going oh isn't this fun flushing it because I you know I, I am scared um, and I sat on my own in a playground and these two girls came over to me and they said are you okay and I said yes and they said would you like to come and join us in the music room and I basically stayed in the music room for the rest of school oh. and I uh, watched my friend Joe play piano for a year over her shoulder and that's how I learned 
learn to play piano. And then I sat down, I invited my mum and dad to a recital at the school. They thought I was going to be singing in the choir. And then I sat down and I played James Horner's Rose, because um, Titanic was really big back then. Um, and uh, I played that, and my mum and dad, about a week later, I came home and they'd got me a clavinova. Um, they're, and they, you know, they'd always, they'd never sort of, they're not musicians at all, but they love, mum really loves, and this is what something I was talking to you about last night, Deborah. One of the great things about um, female classical performers in this country, especially, are they very much bring a sort of working class audience to classical music. People like Charlotte Church, Vanessa May, and um, Catherine Jenkins are all sorts of people that have made classical music very accessible. And in fact, I don't know that many people who there isn't like an aria or something that they love and they adore. You know, even something as uh, popra like "Time to Say Goodbye" is is all at, you know mm. the funerals of a lot of people and yeah. and stuff. And so I really, my mum had a, a love for arias, and she didn't even really know what specifically which ones they were, but she did. And and it meant when I was at the school, I really well, I was part of the chamber choir, and I sang uh, in the choir, and we did the Hallelujah chorus one Christmas. And it, I remember being in that group of people and the feeling of everyone singing around me. I, I don't think I've had the buzz of harmonising when you're in the middle of it and you can stand next to people that you can harmonise with. But, um, you know, that feeling, and it stayed with me. And it wasn't until I was 25 that I discovered that I could actually sing um, at all because I, actually, the girls used to, I didn't have any confidence. I don't know if you think this about singing. Um, Both of you can answer this question. I've got this theory about singing that everyone can sing. It's literally just confidence. And that's what my belief is. Because I used to be tone deaf. And then when I turned uh, 25, I was singing along to Time to Say Goodbye. Andrea Pacelli, Sarah Brightman, and, um, who used to date um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. There we are. It's a little segue. And um, she said some things about him that I shouldn't say here. And uh, I was singing to that. Uh, I was ironing and my housemate came downstairs and said, that sounds really good. And then I just added it into my comedy routine I'm not an opera singer but I do a very good impression of one um, and it's basically just sort of I've fallen into it and and I like my favorite music is classical music and soundtracks and the music that can evoke a feeling I'm not massively I'm not hugely into lyrics I'll be honest I'd rather listen to something that I'm able to have my own feelings about it rather than being told what the song's about. I like to sort of come at it myself. You know, and I think a lot of people find classical music in the same way that I I have, um, which is, you know, by mistake, really. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, just start with those ins. Obviously, Chopin's been a big hit. Chopin was one for me as well, I think. Yeah, well, he's he's also one of those composers that composes so emotionally. Mm. You can absolutely go down the river with that particular one. You can feel all of the feelings. It's, it's lovely. So if you're listening at home, uh, Chopin is spelled C-H-O-P-I-N. <laughs> Google it and he'll pop up, but also what's some of those one? other ones. What's I love the Bach, one? Of course. What's the one called? Bach, B-A-C-H. There's one specific thing that he's written that gets everyone. Mm. What's the most famous so one? I, I, he's written a ton of Polonaises and Nocturnes and Ballades. It's probably oh, one yeah, of the yeah, Ballades. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everything he writes gets me. I, I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> and you should check out a fantastic composer called Lily Boulanger. She died when she's only 23, but her music, was, you'd love it, Jay. Very uh, full of feelings, for a lot of orchestral music. 
yeah. that is fantastic. Oh, Lily... Lily Boulanger. Boulanger, okay. Well, we'll do Lily Boulanger. Mm. Don't go to Chopin. <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should come <laughs> to my <laughs> recital because I'm singing some Lily Boulanger. Oh, are you? Oh, are you? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're really She's excited about that. Uh, but right now, Jamie, you need to go... How many outfits have you got tonight? Twelve bajillion... Three. Three. <laughs> Could you describe... I'm a feminist, but would you mind, in the remaining minute or two you have, describe your outfits? Well, uh, definitely very flashy dresses, a lot of jewels on them. Uh, the last one, though, is the really exciting one, actually. It was uh, designed by a good friend of mine, built by a brilliant costumer who actually built Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> um, and it's kind of got this big bubble sleeve and then a cape off of the side of it, just a little bit dramatic. Um, <laughs> rhinestones on the inside. What color is it? Uh, it's pewter on the outside and then it's vibrant pink, purple and blue on the inside of the Ooh. bisexual flag. I'm a feminist, but I think I'm massively jealous of Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie, go do your thing. Everybody now, I think, really will watch you on iPlayer if they haven't managed to get tickets uh, because they feel like they know you now and they do. It's a very intimate space. Uh, it feels like it would be rude if you didn't watch Jamie now. She's your friend. Uh, and we'll all be there on November the 30th to support your Wigmore Hall and be moved beyond compare. Big round of applause for the incredible Jamie Martin! Hello, all you lovely guilty feminists. This is Sinduvi. And I wanted to tell you that I am going back on tour with my show Sandhog. Um, I will be in Aberdeen and then Bury St. Edmunds, Canterbury, Leeds, Harrogate, North Allerton, Southport, uh, Chipping Norton, and then ba, 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 looking at my calendar here, yes, Leicester, and then Birmingham, and then maybe Crewe, buy some tickets in Crewe, people, so I can come there. And then I'm going to come to Camberley. Swansea, Bath, Cheltenham, Potter's Bar, North Finchley, Taunton, uh, the Lowry in Salford, and that's it. So all of those dates, it ends sort of end of November. Um, please buy a ticket to come see me if you're in one of those towns or if you're near one of those towns. If you know people who you like, or even people you don't like, frankly, tell them to buy a ticket. The show is about, it's about love. It's about the love we have for our parents, for our kids for our partners and how difficult it really is to love anyone consistently for a long time because it's demanding love. Anyway, so do buy a ticket. Please come. Love to see you there. Also, if there's a general election, make sure you get out and vote. That's important. What else do I want to tell you? That's about it. You know, just come to my show, make sure you vote, and most of all, be well and be good to one another. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis-White. All right. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some uh, female composers, uh, ones that you don't know as well as Erin. Francesca Caccini is known as La Caccina. This composer, singer, lutenist, poet and teacher is thought to be the first Italian woman to have an opera successfully staged. The comedy ballet, La Liberazione di Ruggiero. <laughs> no, it's definitely not that. It's something like that. But it's, 
I can't say how much it isn't that. Uh, was published in 1625. Her songs have endured and can be found in many recorded collections of Italian Baroque. And this is where it goes a bit Hello Magazine, then known as Ciao. <laughs> she sang at the wedding of Henry IV of France to Maria de Medici, and so impressed him, he requested that she stay. But she returned to Florence, where her carnival entertainment, La Stiava, led to her first position at court. She composed 32 songs and at least 16 stage works to dramas by Michelangelo Buonarroti, the younger. <laughs> definitely not pronounced like that. It's def that's the only thing I know it's not that, but it's like that. So like that. And provided... Are you looking at Erilyn's reaction behind me? <laughs> And if you could pronounce, if, if you know the proper pronunciation, could you just come in behind me, Erilyn, with the proper pronunciation? Okay. Um, if you don't, doesn't matter, but if you're sure that you, it's wrong and you know how to get it right, just, just chip in and I'll just pause for you. Um, uh, and she provided music for court and liturgical settings. At her career's height in the 1620s, she was the highest paid musician in the court. Imagine that. Many of her works are thought to have been written by, any guesses? Her father, because they shared a surname. Uh, so people believe they're written by her father. They're not. They're written by her. We know that. And because they shared a surname, uh, many of her pieces were attributed to him. But not many of his pieces were attributed to her, though. That's weird. <laughs> You'd think it would be an even Stephen switch. But no. I wonder why that is. I wonder if it could be of massive sexism in the history of the world, being a bit of a prick. <laughs> Fanny Mendelssohn studied composition with Carl Frederick Zelter, who wrote to Goethe that Fanny could give you something of Sebastian Bach. In inverted commas, this child is really something special. She wrote 460 pieces, making Erilyn now feel like a bit of an amateur. <laughs> Uh, many of them were published under her famous brother's name. Oh, you'll definitely know her brother, the better known Felix Mendelssohn. The Wedding March, Midsummer Night's Dream, you know the drill. Fanny rarely published her compositions. She allowed Felix to include six of her songs in his Opus 8 and Opus 9. The works appeared under his name, and then, when this is in quotes, when Felix visited Queen Victoria, she sang one of Fanny's songs, thinking it was his and saying it was her favourite. Felix had to say, uh, well, your majesty, yes, that's not mine. Felix admitted that the almost pointedly named Fanny Mendelssohn was a better pianist than he was. Fanny died young and suffered a fatal stroke while conducting one of Felix's oratorios. She died doing what she loved, making her brother look good. <laughs> he once said, quote, she is too much all that a woman ought to be for this business. I think Felix is a bit of a knob. <laughs> and, and finally, the lesser known Clara Schumann, not heard of her, but I bet you know her husband Bob, Robert Schumann. Robert Schumann said his wife had, and I quote, composed a series of small pieces which show a musical and tender ingenuity such as has never been attained before. But to have children and a husband who was always living in the realm of imagination does not go together with composing. 
That was Robert's words. That's nice, Robert. So you get to live in the realm of imagination and your wife gets to live in children's vomit. The BBC Classical Music website informs us that Robert Schumann both inspired and hampered his pianist wife's creative career, as did her ultimate need to support six children. And I'm going to say, did he inspire her? And also, how did her ultimate need to support six children stop her career? Didn't they need the money? Oh, that's right, BBC website. You mean... So I've just realised this is a BBC event. <laughs> so that's awkward now. But I think we understand I'm very affectionate towards the BBC and always want to be on it. So we, we get that. We get that. It's fine. It's, that's fine. This is just the website people who have no power. So well done, you. You're probably working for very little money and you've done a good job. But I'm talking to the website. I'm not talking to the people who wrote it. Um, oh, that's right, BBC website. You mean clean children's vomit off herself while he went to work composing beautiful symphonies and sonatas to support them. You don't mean that she had to support her children. You mean she had to operate like an emotional support animal on the plane for her husband. Except not on a plane because she didn't get to go anywhere. She composed her own virtuoso piano music from when she was a teenager, including her variations on a theme by Bellini. I'm seeing some variations on a theme myself. The theme is throbbing sexism and the variations are women getting their compositions and careers nicked by their fathers, brothers and husbands. Pick your relationship to a man. And if you don't have a relationship to a famous man, you won't even find yourself on the Hidden Figures website. You'll take your compositions and your name to the grave. The BBC website says, Clara was a towering musician. Her influence on the repertoire, on the recital format, and on an approach to the piano that favoured searching musicianship over display are as important legacies as her music. And then it says, click here for more on Robert Schumann. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so finally, anything of yours that we should know about? Anything we can come to? Anything we can get online? How can we find out more about you, Erin? Well, I wrote a piece for the Proms this year, which was also for Metzger Soprano Orchestra, and that you can still catch that on it. It's called This Famous Part of the Painting, and it was Prom 39, so that was just, oh, just about a month ago. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Jade? Uh, yes, on the uh, 21st of September, I will be recording my first ever stand-up special for Amazon Prime. Um, thank you. It's the first year I've actually done anything without singing in it as well. I wanted to make a comment about fourth-wave feminism, so I think you guys would really like the show. And that will be coming out on Amazon Prime, I think... Uh, I don't know, actually. We and it's said. called... It's called The Ballad of Kylie Jenner's Old Face. <laughs> Thank you. And it's not being mean about Kylie Jenner. It's being... It's a uh, sympathy, I feel. Yeah. It's being critical of the world in which young women feel they have to change things about their body uh, and I'm in, just, in exchange for money. Basically, a lot of people say to me that I have an abundance of confidence and I felt like, as a gift to the world, like I wanted to show people why I have that. And I feel like maybe someone who looks like me... Uh, might be a better sort of role model. For the girls, Abby, do you feel inspired? Yes. She nodded. Um, and she was going to be a physicist before she came here, probably. And now she wants to be a comedian slash opera singer. Abby, yes. watch out. If you've got a West Country accent, mm. <laughs>
Jade. Yes. It appears that Jamie Barton has left the building. Because there's that saying, isn't it? What? The show isn't over until the... That's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, because Jamie Barton cannot close our show with song, and Errol and Wallen uh, could close it by getting into bed and writing some notes down, <laughs> but that may be less rousing uh, than it could be, Jade Adams, would you sing something for us? <laughs> Please welcome to the stage the incredible Jade Adams! Now, I haven't sang this in ages, and I feel like this, that the amount of confidence it takes to sing this in front of her. I mean, I mean in front of you, Deborah, is one thing, but you, like, this is, this is madness. I'm really glad that other girls left. <laughs> I don't know what you mean when my pronunciation of all the Italian <laughs> opera words was Wait so until, on point. <laughs> Wait until you hear me do this, which I think is Italian. It is, but I could have been Spanish. I don't know. Um, I've told you how I know classical music, but um, I thought it was very fitting for um, Guilty Feminist Does the BBC Proms to have one of the comedians at the Guilty Feminist attempt some opera. So here we go. <coughs> I'm so sorry, Erilyn. <laughs> no, there'll be loads of people here who are very well educated about music. That's why they've come to this show. Don't worry, it's not just Erilyn. <laughs> probably two-thirds of this audience. Oh. It's going to be great, Jane. Come on, Jane! Come on, Jane! They won't care. Or in me or in bad be not a car or me piace me no be no wonder in both a I'll Francis White, we've been the Guilty Feminists. Good afternoon! You have been listening to the Guilty Feminists with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jane Adams, and our very special guests, Jamie Barton and Erin Wallen. The 
recording engineer was NASA Pavez. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Victoria, Anna, Camilla, and everyone at the BBC Proms. And Fight Hall, as well as all of you for listening. More information about this and other episodes was at GuiltyFabulous.com. And now, just to introduce you to Erilyn Wallen's music, here's an extract of her composition. This frame is part of the painting. You can hear the whole thing if you go to the show notes and find the link. Now just to introduce you to a little bit of the magical Jamie Barton, here is a short extract of her singing at the last night of the proms. The full link is in the show notes. what the show is about as it goes on. You're looking quite confused, sir. Do you know the show? Are you very much know the show. You're not looking confused. It's just your look. It's just your look. We'll look. We, we'll work on it through the show. We're here to help men, if nothing else. What was that? You're here for gender diversity. You're here to up our, up our, uh, our, our man portion. Man portion, uh, coincidentally, a late-night cabaret show I'm doing in Soho at, mid- at, at midnight tonight, if anyone's interested in coming along after the last night of the prompts. Uh, it'll be immediately after Rule Britannia. Uh, that's the name of my drag out. Rule out nothing, Britannia. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hulu.